chapter 2, we continue this exposition of Luke in this Advent season, how fitting it's been an extended Advent, because we've been really looking at Advent and the focus of the coming of Christ for uh, going on three more months at this point, but who's complaining, right? You know, it's like, the more we can talk about the Christ coming, that's, that's awesome. And Christ has now been born. He has been born... His birth has been sung over by angels, celebrated and beheld by the shepherds who would behold the Lamb of God which would be slain for sin. Mary and Joseph, being faithful with their child, have brought him to the temple where he would be circumcised, where his name was given. His name shall be Jesus, just as the angel had commanded. Jesus, God saves. Yeshua. Pastor Freddie demonstrated last week those, that little uh, intricate detail that Luke gives us there of, of him being circumcised, of, of him offering the sacrifice of the two turtle doves. All of this is a picture of the necessary reality that in order for Christ to be who we needed him to be, all righteousness had to be fulfilled. The full righteous requirement of God's law had to be satisfied in order for Christ to provide for us the necessary righteousness to stand in the presence of God. But I'm also so fascinated about that story, though, is how the righteousness of Christ was in many ways, as a helpless babe, left dependent upon the faithfulness of Joseph and Mary. Think about that. Mary and Joseph have to be faithful in ensuring he's dedicated. He's, he goes and he does these things that he's properly taught. The Lord and his righteous, the fulfillment of the righteous requirement would be left in the hands of, of a couple to ensure that at this earliest portion when Christ was but a helpless babe, that they would be faithful. They had to be faithful in what they did with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, so do you. You need to be faithful with what you do with Jesus. What do you do with Him? Are you faithful with Him? Do you honor Him? Do you, do you marvel over Him? Do you share Him with others? faithful with Jesus as he was faithful towards you. They are in the midst of the temple and while they are there they come into an encounter with two individuals two older individuals one, today we will look at the first interaction, Simeon, next week Pastor Freddie will look at the interaction with Anna, the prophetess but these two older individuals come and, and, and they behold Jesus and they both sing over him. They sing over him realities of who he is and what he will do. Now this is, this will make three witnesses regarding the nature of this child and what he will do. The angelic witness, Simeon's witness, and Anna's witness. And the reason why that's important is because in, in the Bible, what is necessary for a legitimized testimony? Two or three witnesses. So here at the opening of Christ's life, there are three profound spirit-filled witnesses 
of who this child is. He is the Lord of glory. And so with that, let's focus our attention now on the praise and prophecy of Simeon this morning. Looking at Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 35. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. His father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There is one major question that I want to press upon your heart this morning. The one, one main question that I want just weighing upon your mind, weighing upon your heart, pressing upon your soul this morning, and, and this is that question. When you look at Jesus, when you look at Jesus, what do you see? What do you see in Jesus? What is it that you find in Him? What do you look to Him for? When you look at Jesus, what do you see? What do you see? This question is important, especially this time of year, when everywhere there is competing and often conflicting visions of Jesus. It's one of the great problems with this season. Is that we get conflicting messages regarding the person of Jesus. As society and as the world gets their hands on him, it's not shocking. For some, Jesus is merely a nostalgic symbol of hope and peace. For some others, he is just a part of an ancient Hallmark story that is connected with times that we now associate with joy and family, and, and so that's why we, we, we bear it. For some, he's a symbol of intolerance. And the best thing that we can do is actually get his name even out of the celebration. Just tell people happy holidays, let someone be offended. I'm not shocked when the world has a flawed view of Jesus. But I am saddened when the church has conflicting views of Him. I'm sad when those who profess Christ 
as their Savior cannot answer the question, what do you see in him? Jesus once asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? Many answer, well, some say you're Elijah the prophet. Others, a great teacher. Some Elias or Jeremiah. She said, who do you say that I am? Peter spoke, led by the Holy Spirit. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, upon that rock, I'll build my church. I'm Peter. But Peter's message, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. In that moment, it was made very clear. What you see in Jesus has eternal significance. Who you see Jesus to be has eternal significance. My friends, many physically saw Jesus. And yet, they missed him for who they for he true for who he truly was. And if such spiritual blindness had remained upon them, and they missed Jesus, that means they ultimately missed their salvation. If you get Jesus wrong, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter. If your view of Jesus is wrong. You have no salvation. It's non-negotiable. No one in first century Palestine would have doubted that Jesus of Nazareth existed. Maybe they bought a table from him. Maybe they heard his sermon on the mount. Maybe they watched a friend be healed by him. Maybe they were in the crowd when he was crucified. They saw Jesus in all of these ways. And yet so many moved on with their life unchanged. Because as Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 1, in seeing, they did not see. In seeing, they did not see. That is one of the great dangers of this time of year. Images of Jesus everywhere. And yet so many in seeing do not see. They do not see. The most important thing that you can have for Christmas, brothers and sisters, is a proper view of Jesus. It doesn't matter what's under the tree if you don't have a proper view of Jesus. It doesn't matter if this season didn't even exist if you don't have a proper view of Jesus. You do realize Jesus was not born on the center of it. I hope, I hope that's clear. He wasn't. There wasn't even such thing as a December 25th. That's later on here. Christ was probably born sometime in the spring. But the reason that we recognize this is because throughout church history, this day would ultimately become of it. Christ, the church... Redeeming a wicked pagan holiday. Yes, it was Saturnalia, right? A pagan holiday. But Christ is in the business of redeeming pagan things. So the church made it the celebration of Christ. Some may find that a problem, I don't. In the day, we don't know exactly what day Christ was born. 
It doesn't matter. What matters is that he was. And so that's why I say you can celebrate on this day or that day or whatever. None of that will matter if you've got a wrong view of Jesus. It don't matter if you celebrate this on July 4th if you've got a wrong view of Jesus. We celebrate Christ every Sunday. It doesn't matter if you've got a wrong view of Jesus. An improper view of Christ reveals an improper state of your heart. And it will cause you to look away from Him. And to try and find satisfaction and salvation elsewhere, which will only lead you to more pain and sorrow. The reason why people look elsewhere from Christ is because they've never actually seen what's in Christ. In this scene that Luke gives us of Simeon's interaction with the child Jesus, we see what a proper view of Jesus looks like. And what seeing Jesus for who he truly does for the soul which longs to be rescued. The main point of this beautiful interaction with Simeon and the child Jesus is this. Everything, everything that your soul, your longing soul needs to be eternally satisfied is found by looking to Jesus alone. That's the main point of this message today. That's the main point of this interaction. Everything your longing soul needs to be satisfied is found by looking to Jesus alone. But you need to have the right view of Jesus. And the Simeon gives that. Before seeing what, Je what, what Simeon saw in Jesus, I, I want to first look at this description that they were given of this man. Now, you couldn't have a better description of this. Some of the things it says, right? There's a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. I love the description of Simeon. My only prayer is that when I'm an old man, my, my testimony's half that good. Now, little is known about Simeon. There is only one uh, within the historical record, apart from the scriptures that we have of someone who would match this description. It was a man named Simeon, and this is kind of followed up by church tradition. Uh, a man named Simeon who was the son of Hillel. Now, Hillel was a major rabbinical leader. Uh, one of the kind of the founding principles and fathers of the Sanhedrin. Right? Hallel Pharisaism is a con big concept. If you're a mess someone who's a messianic Jew, you'll get into a long discussion about Hallel. Irrelevant. The main reality is that he was the son of this major rabbinical leader in Israel. Now, if that is true, and I have no reason to say that it's not, Simeon would go on to have a son. And this son was also a very important rabbinical scholar in Israel. Simeon's son was named Gamaliel. Gamaliel. Now, in Acts chapter 5, we actually get an introduction to Gamaliel, who there, he is leading over the Sanhedrin there. They bring the apostles in who are preaching Jesus. And what's the threat? Hey, you tell these guys don't be preaching anymore. And Gamaliel shockingly goes, hey, you know, 
we might be opposing God if we actually do something to hurt these guys. And so what they do is he says, let's let them go. If it's not of God, it'll fail. If it is of God, we don't want to be found opposing it. So Gamaliel there, used by the Lord in a mighty way. This same Gamaliel, though, would have a very famous student. Who would be very key to Christian history? A student by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Trained at the feet of Gamaliel. A profound, pharisaical scholar would become an enemy of the church. But who in one look at Jesus would become its greatest missionary. I find the amazing connections of Scripture. And I think there's a reason why the, the, the concept of Simeon is found in Luke. Because Luke, especially writing Acts, sees all of this connection. Luke sees God and goes, wow! Look at what you're doing, God! For him, it's almost just like a, a show at this point. To show all the ways God connects the story. Because history is his story. So Simeon here is referred to as a righteous, or in some translations, a just and devout man. Now, his righteousness or his justness is, is referring to his relationship towards others. How he treats others. He is a righteous man. He is good to others. He cares for others. He treats others properly. He rightly loves his neighbor. It's not devoting any kind of sinlessness or anything like that. It's simply just saying he is just and righteous towards those around him, towards others. And that description, devout, is in reference to his relationship towards God. He is devout towards God. He lives in God's Word. He longs for God. He prays to God. He wants more of God. That's seen in his picture of, of waiting for the consolation of Israel, a name which was given for the Messiah. He's waiting. He's longing because of his devotion to God. That picture of devotion is so important because devotion is revealed through desire. Through desire. Simeon wants more of God. He's devoted to Him. He wants more of Him. He longs for Him. And one of the things that I just want to make clear today is you cannot be devoted to God if you have no desire for Him. If you've got no desire for Him, no desire to see Him, no desire to serve Him, no desire to long for Him, no desire to be with His people, you've got no devotion to God. That's why they call those little things devotionals. The point is that you have a desire for God and you want to hear Him every day. You want to see Him every day. You want more of Him. Where there is no desire, there is no devotion. Many believe that he was an older man. And I think that's a, that's a, a feasible statement based upon uh, his words in a moment. We'll see where he says, now let your servant depart in peace. Literally, you can let me die now. Um, a picture of the fact that he's, he's like an older man. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean he was older. He could have just been a man who's like devoted to the Lord. Says, hey, I'm ready to go whenever now. Uh, but, but I think it, it's reasonable to say that he was an older man. And, and that's really fascinating to me. Because of the five songs surrounding Jesus' birth that are sung by humans, four of them are by older people. Zechariah, Elizabeth, Simeon, and Anna. All old people. 
First of all, if you're older today, you still got you still got a place to worship. But I think there's actually a reason for this. These are pictures of old covenant saints. They are. This is Hebrews 11 being put before us. These are faithful old covenant saints who are looking and longing for the new covenant promises to come in the Messiah. And the reason why the Lord puts the songs of His Son in the mouth of these old saints getting ready to soon pass away from this life is a very symbolic picture of actually what's taking place in redemptive history. With the coming of Christ, the old covenant itself is soon passing away as the new has come. I think that's why you see these old saints. And the fact that Mary is the only other person that's seen singing around Christ is also important. Because she is a picture of the faithful saints, the faithful Israel, giving birth to the promised new covenant. All of these symbols of these songs and these people are a picture of what's actually happening in redemptive history. The old is coming to pass away for the new has come in Christ. Just fascinating connection. Says the Holy Spirit was upon him. That's the most important description of Simeon. Of all the things that Simeon would have written, had written about him, I can assure you, if he said, what was the most important description Luke gave you? He would have said that the Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Now this, this absolutely shows you that the Holy Spirit was actively at work, that he was actively regenerating faithful saints in the Old Testament long before Pentecost. Pentecost was a specific outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church for the sake of empowering their witness to the world. That's what that was all about. But the Holy Spirit was always at work. It's how people believed in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit was there. That's how they felt the consolation of the Lord. The Holy Spirit was there. And we see that here with Simeon. Notice, it doesn't say the Holy Spirit came upon him. He was upon him. He was there, working and actively. He is who gave Simeon the eyes to see. What's interesting is that unlike Anna, who we'll see next week, Simeon wasn't just hanging out at the temple. Notice who led him to the temple in verse 27. The Spirit led him to the place where Jesus was taken. He wasn't just sitting there going, all right, well, I think this is where I'm supposed to be. He was faithfully looking and longing for the Lord. And in his devotion to God, God through the Spirit put him right where he needed to be. Brothers and sisters, I love that picture. Because it shows that if you devote your life to living for God, the Spirit will always put you right where you need to be to make much of Jesus. If you live your life for God, if you devote yourself to Him, the Spirit of God will lead you right where you need to be always to make much of Him and to see more of Him. So many of you are, all, are fretting, God, God, am I where I'm supposed to be? Am I where I'm supposed to be? Have you put me there? When are you going to move me here? Where am I going to be next, next week, next year? What about the new job? Where am I going to go? 
What, what, what Simeon here, the example is giving us is this picture. Live for God. Look for God. Long for God. He'll put you right where you need to be to make much of Him. And rest in that. Rest in it. Simeon didn't have to sleep at a spiritual place in order to be blessed by God. Somebody said, well, if, I, if, I'm not, if I don't work for the church, I can't be used by God. If I don't like getting paid by the church, I can't be used for God. If I don't sleep outside the church, I can't be used by God. You can be used by God anywhere. If you're in Christ, you have the Spirit of God. So look and long for Him. Long to know and to see Jesus and know the Spirit of God will lead you right where you need to be. But we can go. But we can go. We can go. I love this description of Simeon. Because this description is so important for what comes after when we talk about what you need to have in order to have a proper view of Jesus. The description of Simeon gives us two necessary prerequisites in order to be able to have a proper view of Jesus. You do know that. You need some things in order to properly know Jesus. There are only two things. The most important of them is that you must have the Spirit of God. You can't properly see Jesus without the Spirit of God. Impossible. This morning, if you're wondering, how can people read this, see this, hear about it, and still not see Him? They don't have the Spirit of God. That's why. They can't. It is beyond human capacity to grasp the glories of Christ. Especially when those human capacities are under the bondage of sin. You need the Holy Spirit to give you spiritual eyes to behold the glories of Christ. Secondly, you must be informed by the Word of God. You need to be guided by the Holy Spirit and you need to be informed by the Word of God to properly see Jesus. When Simeon sings over Jesus, what is it that he sings? He sings Scripture. He's just making these words up. He's literally singing verses, Isaiah 49. He's singing these realities of who Jesus is from the Word. My friend, the Spirit might lead you to Jesus. But without the Word of God to inform us, we can never know who He is. We would just see a baby. We would just see a child in a manger. We would just see a, a, a great moral teacher. We would just see a spiritual guru. We would reject the virgin birth without the revelation of Isaiah 7. The fact that Jesus was born from the line of David would mean nothing without the covenantal promises of 2 Samuel 7. We would never know what anything about His birth in Bethlehem would have any significance without Micah chapter 5. We can never know the nature of His kingdom and His kingship without Psalm chapter 2 and Psalm 110. We would never trust in a suffering, crucified man apart from Isaiah 53. We'd reject Him. We would never know that He was the coming 
That he was coming to judge wickedness and to purify and redeem a people for himself without Malachi 4 and 5. You can have all the spiritual experience of the world, but you won't see Jesus without the Word. You need both. You need to have the Spirit of God and you need to be informed by the Word of God in order to have a proper view of Jesus. And that's what Simeon has. And that's why when he sees that child, he sees the fullness of everything that he needs. That's why when he sees that child, his longing soul is fully satisfied because through the Spirit of God and the Word of God, he knows everything I need is in him. Everything I need is in Jesus. So he sings. He sings. My friend, if you have not seen Jesus for who he is, I want you to pray right where you are this morning. Lord, my soul longs to see Christ. Let the Holy Spirit come upon me so that I can see Jesus for who he really is for once. Pray for that. Without the Spirit, you won't see Him. And then pray that the Spirit will open your eyes to the Word this morning. That through the song, through the praise and prophecy of Simeon, you will actually get a right view of Jesus. And you will leave this place never again, not being able to answer, what do you see when you see Jesus? This is what Simeon saw this morning when he saw Jesus. First, he saw in Jesus the full consolation of all our sorrows. Look at what he says there in verse 25. He was waiting on the consolation of Israel. And, and when he came to Jesus, did he go, oh, that, that's not it. No, he celebrated. Why? Because he knew that child was the consolation of Israel. Now the consolation of Israel was a name that throughout Israelite tradition had become a, a basically a nickname given to the promised Messiah. The Messiah will be the consolation of Israel. This is a picture of hope. These Jews who have groaned in times of bondage wept in times of exile, who were now oppressed under the rule and burden of Rome, looked for heaven, looked to heaven to release them from their suffering. That's what consolation means. Consolation means giving comfort to someone to address their sorrows. It is comfort given to address a sorrow. That's what, that's what it means to be consoled or to have consolation. Simeon, along with so many others in Israel, were looking and longing for the Messiah to come and be the answer, the comfort to all of their sorrows. We get a picture of this kind of consolation that was that, that Israel was waiting for in Isaiah chapter 25. Listen to these words, Isaiah 25, 6-9. Isaiah writes, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. And here, 
that mountain of the Lord that's talking about the temple. Where's Jesus at in this picture? He's the temple. Getting dedicated. He will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of His people He will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. That's what Simeon's waiting for. And that's what Simeon sees in all of its fullness in that child. All of those promises, all of those, those hope of consolation and comfort, he sees fully in that little baby. What words of consolation? It says the Lord will come to bring rich food, a picture of his perfect provision. It says that he will swallow up the mountain and a veil covering the nation. That's a picture of him removing sin's oppression over the nations. It says that he will swallow up death. The picture of the removal of our greatest cause for grief. Death. That's the greatest cause of human suffering is death. The greatest point of our grief is death. And what does the Lord say? He's going to swallow it up. He'll swallow it up. He will wipe away all tears and take away the reproach of His people. A picture of His perfect compassion and care. This is what the Messiah would bring. This is what Simeon was waiting for. And when Simeon looked on that little babe, he saw the glorious reality that this child would be the final answer to all the sorrows of a fallen world. He would be our provision. He would destroy sin. He would rescue us from captivity. He would defeat death. He would wipe away every tear. He would take away all shame, all guilt, all reproach. He would be the consolation of Israel. But not just a small ethnic group, but an Israel that would constitute a people from all nations. Did you not hear that in Isaiah's prophecy? He will prepare salvation for all peoples, remove mountains over all nations. Not just one. All peoples will have this salvation fully and readily available to them. The sorrows that plague all humanity find their balm, find their medication, find their antidote in Jesus and Him alone. In other words, no matter who you are, Christ alone is the only one who can bring consolation to your sorrows this morning. As Simeon held that child, he knew that he had seen the divinely given solution to all our greatest problems. In the midst of our sorrows, brothers and sisters, God did not give us a therapist. He gave us a son. In the midst of all your problems this morning, God gives you a son. He says, look at it. 
look to him. If you are riddled with grief, if you are plagued by sorrow, if you're fed up with frustration, if you are filled with spiritual and emotional pain this morning, if you are covered and in bondage to some form of oppression, there's only one place to look and find any consolation. And his name is Jesus. He is your comfort. He is your comfort. And when you realize that all you need in order to find lasting comfort for your sorrow is found in Jesus, you won't look elsewhere. You'll stop looking everywhere else for comfort you can only find in Jesus. You'll stop turning to those substances. You'll stop looking to porn. You won't hop from crutch to crutch to crutch only to be let down over and over and over because you'll have found all the consolation you'll ever need in Jesus. The answer to the pride of life, the answer to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes is a look to Jesus. Because when you look to Him, you'll realize all I need, all that I need for my sorrow, all that I need for my pain, all that I need for my frustrations is found in Him. So I don't got to go anywhere else when I've got all I need in Him. I know a number of you right now are in the midst of a ferocious storm. But the presence of clouds does not mean the absence of the sun. Presence of clouds does not mean the absence of the sun. So keep looking. Keep waiting. And I promise you the sun will break through. When sorrow besets your soul, when frustration clouds your mind, when fear overcomes your heart, when depression overrides your emotions, Simeon says to us, look to Jesus. And find the consolation to all your sorrows. Secondly, Simeon saw in Jesus the complete fulfillment of all God's promises. Verse 26 to 29, he said, And if it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. God had told Simeon, you're not going to die until you see my Christ. Until you see your Lord. You won't die. And as Simeon looked upon that child, he saw God's faithfulness to his word. But not just that single promise given to him. But the reality of the fulfillment of all God's promises. Since his promise to Adam and Eve in the garden. Of a child that would come through the woman. Who would crush the serpent's head. God's people have been looking forward to this promised salvation to come through a child. So much so. That literally when Eve gave birth to Cain, she thought he was the one. She thought he was the promised child. It's why she says, I have begotten a child 
the Lord. Some translations read from the Lord. No, she refers to the child as the Lord. She thinks Cain's the promised one. Now, now we know that her expectations were wrong. But she was longing and looking for redemption. So even though the birth of Cain was not the birth of the Messiah, it was the birth of hope. From that point forward, the people of God have longed and looked and God, to sustain them, was giving them promise after promise of everything that He would give and provide in His Messiah. And when Jesus was born, all that God had spoken in these glorious promises now find, found their fulfillment in Him. So when Simeon looked at that newborn child, he saw the face of God's faithfulness. This is why Simeon could say, I can depart now in peace. Jesus was still a baby. He, he wouldn't need to grow before he could actually do what the Messiah came to do. He, he wouldn't actually need to be grown to do those things. But Simeon didn't need to see that. Simeon saw no sermon on the mountain. Simeon saw no healings. Simeon saw no mountain of transfiguration. Simeon saw no crucifixion. Simeon saw no resurrection. And Simeon says to his soul, I don't need to. I just need to see Jesus. And if I, if I have one look at him, I know God's faithful to do everything else. Because he's the epitome of God's faithful. Simeon says, I've seen all the evidence I ever need that God will be faithful to, full, full, to fulfill everything He said because I have seen Jesus. In other words, if you're ever doubting God's faithfulness, the call of Simeon, look to Jesus. If you're doubting God's faithfulness this morning, look to Jesus. All you ever need to know is if God will be faithful to His promises is by looking to Jesus. One look to Him is enough to say, yep, God's going to do it. God's going to do it because He has done it. When you look at Jesus, you are seeing the exclamation point of God's faithfulness. And so by trusting in Him, you are receiving the guarantee that everything good that, that God has promised is now yours in Christ. How sweet to the soul in distress are the promises of Jesus. For every condition, there is a promise fulfilled in Him. For every sorrow, there is a comfort. For every wound, there is a balm in Christ. He who began a good work in you will bring it unto completion. His plans for you are good. All things work for your good. You will be conformed to the image of Christ. Nothing will ever separate you from the love of God. You will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus will never lose you, never leave you, never forsake you. These are the promises of God in Christ Jesus. And they are guaranteed. 
look to it. That's all you need to see. When you doubt any of those, look to Jesus. Receive Him as the fulfillment of God's promises and see the faithfulness of God smiling back at you. And just as He promised to come the first time, He has promised to return and He will do so. And we will behold Jesus not as a helpless babe, but as the King of kings cloaked in glory. He will bring justice. He will rid the world of corruption. He will destroy death and Satan once and for all. He will make all things new. He will wipe away every tear if you belong to Him. He will do this. He will write these promises on your heart. So when the world looks dark and the problems are burying you, and injustice seems so strong. Look to the faithfulness of God seen in Jesus. And know with absolute certainty. He will make all things right. He will. When you look upon Jesus with the eyes of faith. And see the utter faithfulness of God in Him. You can live with the same heart of Simeon. That no matter what tomorrow brings. I can depart in peace. Because my eyes have seen the Lord. Can you say that today? Can you say no matter what tomorrow brings, I can depart in peace? If not, then look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Thirdly, he saw in Jesus the remarkable extent of God's salvation. Verse 30-33. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to, to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. This child was not merely the embodiment of God's faithfulness. He was the incarnation of God's salvation. Literally, he is the salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. They just saw a baby. What do you mean? Simeon knows everything God will do to save his people is fully embodied in that little package. He is the salvation. It's not who, what he will do. Simeon says, notice, nothing Simeon says has anything to do with what Jesus will do in this psalm. It's everything about who He is. He is your salvation. He is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. He is the glory of Israel. Jesus' salvation is not primarily in what He did. It's in who He is. That's why your view of Jesus has to be right. Simeon shows us the full extent, the remarkable extent of God's salvation in him. Notice what Simeon sees in Jesus. Simeon is the first. We got a little hint at it in Zechariah's song, but it wasn't there clearly. Simeon's song is the first to give us a very clear picture that the salvation that Jesus is going to bring is not just a physical salvation for ethnic Israel. He makes it really clear this is for the world. This is for the nations. This is for all peoples. And what he does here in singing this 
is he quotes Isaiah 49, verse 6. Listen to Isaiah 49, 6. Isaiah writes, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. This is referring to the Messiah. And to bring back the preserved of Israel. In other words, what he's saying there is, it's too small for the Messiah just to save one small ethnic group of people. That's too small. That's too light a thing. I, the Lord says, will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Amen. Amen. That's what the Messiah will do. Any picture that limits the plans and purposes of God to a small strip of land in Palestine, to one small ethnic group, misses it all. It's too light a thing. It's too small. I will let my salvation reach to the ends of the earth. That's why I love that picture of Revelation 7. The picture of the innumerable multitude which no man can number from every tribe, tongue, and nation singing glory in heaven. My friends, you ought never ever to look at the world and say, how can the people of God be so little? You ought to every day marvel how the people of God can be so many. The power of His salvation, the glory of His election, the goodness of His gracious. You have to marvel over the multitude that this King has saved and that you are a part of. Jesus is the glory of Israel. Not because it's just some specific plan for Israel. But brothers and sisters, Jesus is the very reason Israel ever existed. You do understand that, right? The whole purpose God ever created a nation called Israel was for the purpose of bringing an offspring that would be a blessing to the nations. That's the whole promise to Abraham. The reason I will make you a people is so that through you an offspring will come that will bless the nations. The whole reason Israel ever existed was for the purpose of bringing forth this little child. Its whole purpose was this. That's why he is the glory of Israel. Because he was now the capstone, the exclamation point for all of Israel's purposes. And now Israel was reconstituted, not just to mean an ethnic group, but a covenantal people grafted into Israel's Messiah. In order to be Israel now, you had to be connected to Christ. And if you weren't, you were either cut away or never grafted in. That's Romans 11. That, that whole picture there. He is the glory of Israel because He is the capstone of all God's promises of it. He is the full salvation that had been promised through them. And His salvation would reach to the nations. It would extend to all peoples. And this is what makes Joseph and Mary marvel. 
They knew that he was the Messiah. They'd never been told that. But the fact that his salvation was not just going to be a physical one, removing Roman oppression, totally blew their mind. This is going to be one that is cosmic, global, universal, a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation is who he will redeem. He will be a light to the world that was lost in darkness. He was a light of revelation, revealing to them the fullness of the God they did not know. My friends, I want you to know sin and Satan want you to hide your face from God in shame and guilt. It, 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 they want you to say, I cannot show my face for the things I've done. I want you to know anything you've done, the Lord's already seen. He knows. And yet He holds out this promise of salvation to you. Will you look to Him? Of course, Satan would want you to not look at Him. To make you hide your face in shame and guilt. To remain hidden in the bushes like Adam and Eve in their first fall. But Christ calls. He says, come to me. Look to me. And know my salvation. Don't hide your face in shame. Look to Christ's salvation. And He will receive you. He will lead you from the darkness. He will be your light. He will be your glory. He will be your salvation. Cry to God this very moment. Lord, let me see Jesus. Let me know my salvation is sure. And I promise He will do so. I'm always amazed when we go to someone's house who has a small child. And I tell you what, I can't tell you how many times I've seen a mom get up from a table, go upstairs and go, yeah, the baby was crying. And all of us are like, didn't hear that. Something unique about a way a mother can hear the cry of the child. I want you to know that's precisely how your father in heaven even the faintest cry of heaven, your Father hears. And He will come. Because He has come in Christ. So look to Him. Look to Him. Celebrate Him. Be saved by Him. And Jesus, Simeon, saw His salvation. The question is, have you? Lastly, he saw in Jesus the dividing line of all humanity. Verse 34 and 35. Simeon now goes from, from of a praise to a prophecy. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. We've heard many messages and songs and praises about this child throughout the opening of Luke. This is the first time any kind of ominous tone is struck. Simeon's words, turning from praise to prophecy, speaks of how this child is appointed, notice that, appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. He's appointed, not 
It will be. Not He's going to be a reason for the rise and fall of many. It's appointed that He will be the rise and fall of many. Where does this appointing come from? It comes from the decree of God. The will of God. God's will is that Christ will be the dividing line of humanity. It is appointed that many will rebel and reject Him. Why? What's that rebellion and rejection going to bring? It's going to bring the sign which is opposed, which is the cross. The cross. The cross. The blindness of men would lead to the greatest blessing of men. Men will rise or fall depending on the thoughts of their hearts towards Jesus. And this will all be centered on the way in which they view the cross. We know that this is the cross that's in mind because of this little parenthesis here that's given to Mary. For a sword will pierce your own soul. Many scholars have tried to look at like Ezekiel and, and argue that this is a picture of the, the fact that Mary herself will be alienated because of her relation and connection to Christ. And, and amen, that that is a part of it. But we all know what truly will be the moment the sword pierces her soul. It will be as a mother who watches her son with his hands and feet pierced on a cross. The sword will pierce her soul as the nails will pierce his wrist. Thirty-three years later, I can imagine that at this time, you know, Mary probably wasn't sure what Simeon meant, but thirty-three years later she did. I can imagine how these words pierced her heart with every blow of the hammer. Every gory and bloody image she had of her son. In light of the glorious news of the coming of Christ, a terrible reality was now revealed. Rather than the world just opening up and receiving its king, we're told many will reject him. And their, and their rejection will be centered primarily upon the fact that he would be a suffering Savior. The reason why the sign is called a sign of offense, the cross is a sign of offense, is because it's precisely the cross that causes so many to reject him. The cross was the sign of offense. That's why Paul says that to the Jew, the cross was a stumbling block. To the Greek, it's a sign of foolishness. Who wants to follow a crucified Messiah? And for Israel, the fact that he was crucified meant he couldn't be the Messiah. Because to be hung upon a tree was to bear the curse. To which we say as Christians, praise God. Because that's your curse he bore. Not his own. The message of the cross, Paul would say elsewhere, is a fragrance of death to the dying, but a fragrance of life to the living. It's a fragrance of life to us in Christ. Fragrance of death to those who reject Him. What you see in Jesus when you look to the cross reveals precisely the condition of your heart. When you look to the cross, what do you see? And you will find what your heart reveals. There are only two kinds of people in this world. Those who look to Christ for salvation and those who don't. That's it. 
All the other divisions of man are arbitrary, secondary, and pointless. The only dividing line of humanity is what do you see in Christ? Do you see in Him the fullness of salvation, the fullness of God's promises, the full consolation of all your sorrow, or do you not? That's the dividing line. I believe there was a reason why there were three crosses. I believe there was a reason that Christ was in the center of them. I believe that there was a reason why one on, that one man on the cross next to him, one sinner, looked to Christ and rejected him. While the other sinner on the other side looked to Christ and received him. Why? Because Christ is the dividing line of humanity. Both of those thieves on the cross deserved their punishment. Both of them were guilty sinners. Both of them deserving of death. Both of them wicked in every way. The only difference was what they did with Christ. That's the dividing line. When you look to the cross, Christ on the cross, what do you see? Do you behold your salvation? Or do you merely look at a man who was the product of an injustice? A sad story. A weak ruler. Or do you see the salvation of the world? That's the dividing line. It's not arbitrary. It's the only line that exists. And where you stand on that line is the determining factor of your eternity. One of those thieves is in judgment where he deserved. One of them is in glory where he didn't deserve. But where Christ sent God. Of all the things that thief will say in heaven, you know there's something he can say. He can't say, well, I was able to articulate the Trinity perfectly. I knew my theology, systematic theology book, excellent. I debated Grudem on, on federal headship. I perfectly uh, made sure that I, I sung all the right songs perfectly. I knew my hymnology excellent. I walked all the paths. I was righteous in every way. No. The only thing that thief will be able to stand in heaven is when people ask, why are you here? It's because I looked at Jesus and I saw my salvation. And he said, come. And I did. That's it. Do you see in Christ the consolation of all your sorrows? The fulfillment of all God's promises. The fullness of God's salvation. The dividing line of all humanity. What do you see when you look to Jesus? Pray that God will give you the eyes to see Him. Pray that He will remove any fog that has caused you to be blinded from His glory. Day by day, go to the Word and look to Christ. Look for Christ in your Word. I promise you'll never go away in you. Rest in the promises found in Him. Be assured of your salvation in Him. Come, O sinner, poor and needy. Look upon the Savior's face. Feel the comfort of His mercy. Receive the blessings of His grace. For longing souls, the Savior came to forever set those captives free. A single look at the Savior.